Greet each one in Jesus' name this morning. The Jesus who is has taught us in the lesson this morning, and I appreciated the lesson and the devotional, um, that uh, we should be a servant. You can turn to Ecclesiastes 11. So two weeks ago, we were at church in Sarasota Mennonite that some of you have served at, and uh, I don't know who they were, but some of them said, Hi, Dan, and Hi, Todd. And uh, uh, I'm sure they meant it as a good greeting. I just don't remember who it was there. So. But there was an Aaron Lapp there from Pennsylvania, and he was preaching. He was, they were going through a financial seminar. I don't know, maybe some of you know him. It was an inter- interesting time. Aaron Lapp from Pennsylvania somewhere. The Sarasota Mennonite had uh, less people there. Uh, They recently experienced some division. There was some families left there. Uh, Then the second week, we went to the tourist church uh, and uh, was blessed there. Uh, An interesting thing that I thought, uh, I think it was around 10 or 12 years ago, and I don't have a mark right, we went there, and it was very empty. Um, we uh, preached there one Wednesday evening, and I think we went that Sunday, but there was only like, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40. They had a little bit of bumpy roads there, and uh, the trustees one Sunday morning refused to unlock the church. Uh, so it was kind of a bumpy experience that they had. But... As I was looking at the bulletin board down there, there was between four and five hundred in the last, it was just under four hundred when we were there and the Sunday before was four, four fifty and the Sunday before that was five hundred and some. And it was a blessing to be there. It felt, it felt uh, good. There was a gentleman, Manny Troyer from Montana. I don't know if anybody knows him. He's a person that shares there. You know his uh, his church there out in Montana, or his. Okay. He spoke of angels, a very interesting uh, sermon, and he talked about being in Haiti when he was. On This was years back when he was on, they were reaching out and they were on a pickup truck and there was a person, there was a, some kind of meeting of evil spirits and I, they have those down there, they have those and somebody came for him and was it three times, Ruth, he had an umbrella with a sharp end on it and three times went for him and the thing stopped right before it got to his body or his face. And uh, he was talking about the work of angels in our lives, and it was very interesting. He talked about a time when an acquaintance of his was in O'Hara Airport. Uh, his wife, I believe it was, and they were worried about her getting from one flight to another. And a gentleman, well-dressed gentleman, grabbed her suitcases and said, I'll show you where it's at, and took her over to, through things, took her over to where they were flying out at. 
And he set him down, and when she turned to thank him, he wasn't there anymore or, or within sight. And they felt it was an angel that was uh, seeing him through. Very interesting. Another thing I'd like to share from our trip, Ruthie and I were taking a walk in uh, Jack's Marina, had a trail, and we got to these really nice people who approached us and addressed us in Pennsylvania, broken Pennsylvania Dutch. And I said, well, uh, apparently you have some roots and, uh, in the Mennonite church. And they said, no, we actually don't. But come here, we want to talk to you a little bit. There were Jehovah Witnesses who were learning Pennsylvania Dutch in their senior years to target Mennonites. And they had Jehovah Witness literature printed in Pennsylvania Dutch. I was really impressed with their diligence. I said to him, you know, we could probably pretty quick find something to disagree on. And I said, uh, you're not going to uh, change me into a Jehovah Witness, and I doubt whether I'm going to change you into a Mennonite. So maybe we ought to leave that part of it right there, and we didn't get into the, to the normal arguments. It was such a nice day, and it was warm, and I, I just uh, didn't think we'd get anywhere. Josh Martin is Bishop Earl Martin's son in Pennsylvania. And he had a really unfortunate situation uh, with a child that they had adopted, or it was uh, a child that was staying with them uh, five and a half years ago. And he injured her out of anger. And he was given a sentence, and he was put to jail, and he was going to get out around right now. And a couple weeks ago, they had a meeting, and a board decides that and finalizes that. And his wife was getting gearing up and getting ready, and there was a farm where they, they were going to move on. And... Uh, the meeting came together, and he was given two more years, and at that time they'll look at it again. And I wondered how decisions like that get made. You know, I just, my heart went out to the victim and to Josh and to his family and to his parents. And I just, you know, as you sit on both sides of that, as you look at Belle, her name was B-E-L-L-E, as you look at Belle's injuries, she's a vegetable almost. She's in a wheelchair. She was four at the time. She'll be blind, and she'll need constant care for her whole life. And if you look at that side of it, it wouldn't take much for, a, I think there's often a board of three or four that decide that. It wouldn't take much. Did this man learn his lesson? 
And when he was put away, he was put away for five and a half to 20 years. And the judge said, it's beyond the capability of this court to answer the question, uh, to, to come up with a good solution for this. Uh, it was unavoidable and inexcusable, but uh, we can't change anything here. There's nothing that we can change. And uh, I was thinking of that there this week there as I, as I learned of that. Do we learn from other people's mistakes? Here's how my mind was going a little bit. My brother called me this week, and he found out he has colon cancer, my older brother. And for the last 13 years, he said his doctor's been asking him to go get a test. And uh, he finally thought, hey, I've got some time, I'm going to do that. And he found out he has colon cancer. One of his motivating factors might have been a friend of his in the trucking didn't go and didn't go and was told to. And when he finally went, the doctor said, uh, there, there's, he said, you have cancer. And the doctors, he said, well, what can we do about it? And the doctor said, we can't do anything about it. It's too late. So my brother Mel went in there and he said to the doctor, now you've been telling me for 13 years that I need to take this test for some of the things that, and uh, he said, when you tell other people from now on, tell them that there's a person that you told that to that really wishes he would have went in earlier. And the doctor said, I can't do that. Uh, and Mel said, why not? And he said, well, I present a case or I present advice, and everyone makes their own decisions. And I was thinking as Todd and Eric preach to us from this pulpit week after week, they present some facts and then we each of us make that decision what we're gonna what we're gonna do with that there. And a doctor can't say you have to do this. And God gives us that same Latitude, that same choice to make. So how do we make decisions? How do we learn and grasp them? Um, I read lately, and I don't know if this is right, Patrick, but they say that out of ten people, eight people do best when they hear something explained, and two do better in learning it and grasping it if they read it for themselves. And I don't know if we could test that uh, this morning. Uh, Let's try to test that as far as how we learn. Like, picture with me, if you will, you went to Walmart and you didn't quite find, but you bumped around town and finally you found a microwave. And you brought it home, and you put it on your sink, or your counter there, and you put the boxes aside, and you plug it in. 
How many, your next step is to read the directions. Raise your hand there. So, just a few would read directions. How many would start pressing buttons? Raise your hand. (laughs) Do more by hearing or feeling there. (laughs) So that's how we learn. We learn... Proverbs says that a wise man can learn from another person's mistakes. And I was talking about Josh this morning, and it's been on my heart the last while. And I wonder if we can learn anything from that, from hearing of his unfortunate situation. We're not judging any part of that. But a person who has a problem with anger doesn't think that they do. Just like an alcoholic or a druggie, when you talk to them about it, they, have, they don't really think that it's a problem until they, they do, until they lose. A gambler will lose the farm before he realizes that he has a problem with gambling. And an angry person... It's hard, and I'm going from my own experience here. It's hard. What is it that finally, the doctor said to my brother Mel, I have a question for you. What made you decide to come in for the test this time? He wasn't having any symptoms or anything. And my brother Mel said, well, I had the time and he had been after me for a while. But that's, that's what decided. So what changes us as human beings, that it's so hard, we have these blind spots and we can't see ourselves. What, what gives you the motivation to understand that you have a problem before something unfortunate happens? And what gives you the understanding and the desire and the motivation to say, this has to change? Uh, the Bible tells us that A wise person hears something and learns by it, but a foolish person will walk away from the same meeting and there's no change. There's not gonna, there's nothing gonna happen there. And I I was thinking through that there. And I, and I think the first step in this process is men Examine yourself and ask your wife or your parents, do I have a problem with anger? Do I try to control outcomes? And do I try to control or do I fly off? Do I have a problem with anger? And if you do, get the help you need. Change. Change it. Uh, I think, why did God let this happen to this uh, blessed young man, this solid man there? Yet he had this struggle with, with anger. He, he hit the child in the face in, or in the head and society and the church and the world knew that that was unacceptable but he in a moment of rage And sometimes we as fathers get a lot on our plate 
and it's a struggle, and we have that tendency. And look at yourself and ask your wife, do I have a problem with anger? Anyway, Ecclesiastes 11, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the cloud, clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree falls toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall it be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. So, some of these things are hard to understand and they could be taken a couple different ways. Cast your bread upon the waters is maybe something that he would have understood. He had a fleet of ships and he traded with different countries and so forth. But his thought is whether it is on your investments or your earning or your endeavors or your generosity, uh, do it here and do it there. You're, you're not sure what's going to work. And, and, uh, and, Diversify, he's saying a little bit. Go, go out there and do it. And in verse three, he's saying, if the clouds be full of rain, he's talking, points us towards the principle of cause and effect. We reap what we sow, and it's going to be what it is. Depends what we sow, we're going to get this, and depends if we don't sow, we're going to get nothing. And in verse four, he says, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. It's like a farmer who is over-analytical and he keeps observing the circumstances and today is not a good day to plant. And today, again, is not a good day to plant. Instead of trusting God or, or stepping out or, or uh, tilling forward, he's saying, ah, there's... A line in the street, or this is not a good time to get. It's a little wet, or it's a little dry, or it's a little wet, or uh, and I think maybe I'll just go up to a town and go to a sale, and I'll wait for a better time to plant. I'll wait for a little while. Hudson Taylor says a quote from Hudson Taylor says, "Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith." If we stay on the safe side. Uh, somebody said, and I don't know who had said it, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And Wayne Gretzky from Canada, a hockey player, said, you miss, uh, it, it, this saying is uh, attributed to him, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And my dad always said, Nut Chassa is off a failed. And I like that one the best there. That is, not shooting is also missing. And he's saying here, if you're so tentative and you, and you wait and you don't, you, you know, we think, okay, this is important and we're walking a tightrope and we don't want to make a mistake for the Lord, so we won't do anything. That's better. And then our, I should have, or I wanted to sometime, or sometime I ought to do this, turn into regrets, things that we never did. We just never did. And time passed us by, and 
and the thing, and we and we look at our circumstances and use our circumstances—the wind, the rain, the weather, the people—as excuses not to do the things that God prompts us in our hearts or that we wish we could do. And we just uh, we wait like the farmer and don't plant. And when you don't plant, you're not gonna you're not gonna get any fruit. You're not gonna get any crop. You know, we can look at various times in scriptures in uh, in the Old Testament where this played out, where uh, Caleb and and uh, Joshua and the ten others went out to look at things and they got a layout of the land and they knew they had a mandate from the Lord and they knew what they were supposed to do and it didn't feel right to them. It just was scary to get out on a limb. Ah, it just. Uh, let's play this safe. Let's be reasonable. And they all came home and, and two of them said, let's go for it. And ten of them said, they're a little bit of a loose fire hose. They're, they're a little crazy. We can't trust them. Let's, let's not go. And, and Caleb and, uh, they said, hey, God, told us to go, we have a mandate to go, the giants are big, but our God is bigger, we can handle this, let's do this. But the others said, ah, slow down here a little bit, let's not do this, it's too far outside the box, let's wait, let's not do this. And it says God was really frustrated was really angry to the point where those many, many, many of those walked for 40 years in the wilderness and had their time of, let's play this safe. They had a 10-day journey or an journey or an 8-day journey, whatever it was across there, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their fear, because of their saying, let's, let's wait. Let's not do this. And Noah, that to tilt forward like Noah did. It's saying, it's saying, cast your bread upon the waters, do this. He that observeth the wind, he, he that's too careful is not going to do anything. Go for it. In Noah's day, can you imagine how many people would have said, hey, let's play this safe. Uh, that is really outside the box. Let's not build a boat. I was thinking of that there. Uh, and then I went to that song, Build an Ark, and I, I love that song, Build an Ark, Ark, Head for the Open Waters, Save Your Sons and Your Daughters, Build an Ark. I'm tired of all the villains, tired of all the killings, tired of the men who make the laws and break them any time they please. I'm tired of all the big lies, where are all the good guys? Sometimes I think I feel the way that Noah did when the Lord commanded, Build an Ark, Save Your Sons and Your Daughters. I loved that song there, and I thought of it. Neither here nor there, but I, uh, that's how my mind works there. You know, it was really, really, really stupid to walk around the city seven times. It, it was really outside the box. But Hebrews says, what about that? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell when the people walked around the city seven times. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about a person and he says, 
I know how strict you are. I know how you require everything. And so what I did was save my talents, and here they are. I made sure they were okay. And, and here, here are the talents. You can have them back. Ruthie was reading her uh, circle letter to me last night. And Dorothy, one of her friends, was uh, talking about a neighbor of theirs, a little girl that got burned. And they were using, she got burned with a scalding hot cup of soup or water or something. And they were using that their plant, uh, help me out. Yeah. But the girl healed from that, but she reacted to it also. And so they used the second thing that they use sometime. It's some kind of plant or whatever they make mud out of. And probably some of you know what happened there uh, or what they used there. Clay, part of uh, clay. And the girl healed. Uh, and so Dorothy was in town and they met a, she met a neighbor there, and she asked the neighbor, how's it going? And the neighbor said, not so good. And she said, What's, what, what are you up against? And he was diabetic, and he had some, they lived upstate Pennsylvania, and he had some sores for a couple years that got worse and worse and wouldn't heal, and he had to drive so far to get the, the redressing done. He lived by himself. And Dorothy is not an outgoing person, but... Uh, she said, well, I know this thing that might help. And so she went beyond her comfort zone, and when she saw the sores and what they were like, she was way beyond her comfort zone. And she went over there and dressed these, and within weeks, they were all healed up. And I was so blessed by that story. You know, Today down there, they're going to have a a Super Bowl. And there's going to be champions, one or the other. And they're going to walk around and they're going to hold their hands up saying, number one. And it's like Tim's story this morning. I so appreciated that story thinking about this here. And they're going to get piles of money. But somehow, Dorothy with overcoming her shyness and overcoming her ability to treat wounds that are beyond her care and reaching out to a neighbor that needed the help. And the way some of you do in caregiving and reaching people and tending to the wounds, both emotional and physical, of those around you and those in the community... Those are the real Super Bowl heroes of today. I just can't help but think uh, again of Tim's uh, holding up two people. And I, I just somehow believe that God blesses those who serve in this way. Not for recognition. Not for I did this. Not for I'm more spiritual than you. But somebody that reached out, uh, it just thrills me to know that her neighbor doesn't have those sores anymore that he had for two years. That's just a blessing. Praise the Lord for for that. 
But there's something about our quest for stability and safety and predictability that is so dangerous. We, uh, we, we try to play it safe and try to, try to be so careful. And the Lord was so frustrated when them people wouldn't step out in faith and go into the promised land. And the price to pay was so high and we pay so much in our desire, in our quest for safety and stability and never rock the boat. We pay a high price. That's a dangerous desire that we have to, to, to create our own safety and not trust in the Lord. We miss 100% of the shots that we don't take. Verse 5, we don't need to understand. We just need to hold His hand. As thou knowest not, What is the way of the Spirit? Nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Even so, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. There's so much about God that we don't understand. And it's better if we admit that. I I struggle why my friend Galen died. He was... was, um, mission to in in the Philippines and he spent his time over there and I and I as I look back I saw he had a difficult childhood there was times when he came on the bus and all that he had for lunch was apples from the orchard that he picked on the way out and that was a many a time that that's what he carried and but he was such a good fit then when he went to the Philippines for many years and lived up in a hut and he translated the Bible into their dialect. And yet, I believe it was in his 40s, he died of cancer. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why a child suffers. And I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know about God. And the wisest man on earth says here, there's a lot about God that we don't know. And when... When Job demanded answers and said, hey, tell me what you're doing here. I'd like to know. You, you have to answer to me. And when God started talking, Job said, yeah, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have had a, I don't have a case at all. There is so much that I don't understand. You've heard of Jim Elliott. Uh, he died on my birthday, January the 8th, 1956. And, he was a conscientious objector, which I didn't know, uh, and he was um, 28 years old when he died. Guys, a lot of people that died in their 20s and 30s had a full, complete ministry. And I don't know why he died, but God does. And he used his story to bless a lot of people and direct a lot of people's lives. Death for the believer is not a tragedy, and it's not untimely, and it's not forgotten. And um, God decides those things, and if we can say, we don't know why, but we know that he has a purpose for this and, and rest in it. In 
In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thy hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether both shall be alike good. And this may be about life, and it may be about generosity, but it, and it may be in the context here. I try to read through the things. He's talking about an older person and a younger person. It may be when he says mourning, it's as a youth. You tilt forward and you do your, uh, do your thing. Or, and when you get older, or it may be in the beginning of the day, early in the morning, and around supper time, you're still tilted forward there. But he has advice to the young and the old. Verse 7, truly, the light is sweet and a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun. Life is good, he's saying. Truly, it's nice, good to be alive. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee. In the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thine heart. And in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou. That for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart. Put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. And I love the poetry here. And in in other translations it brings it uh, out a little clearer. But he's saying... Uh, you as youth and you as young people, live your life and uh, walk in the ways of thy heart. And, and we're, all, we're all made different. Be yourself. Be your own person. Like, for instance, I think there's a couple different uh, people that teach organ, organ or piano here. If I were to learn piano or organ, I know I could learn that. I, I know I could learn that. But the first, we'd work on four notes with this hand. And then the next week we'd work on the opposite note with this hand. And then the next week we'd work on both of them. And it would take a long time. But there's people here that pick it up pretty fast. And they're given a gift and they're given a tendency and they're given uh, a God-given Capability. There's people here that know how to to work. There's people here that know how to make money. There's people here that know how to sing. There's people here that know how to bring people together. There's people here that have gifts. And he says, young people, you're either made for a farmer or you're not. You're either made for a logger or you're not, or a builder or you're not, or a teacher or you're not. But, but grab a hold of what's yours and, and tilt forward in it and give it everything. Going on some of his other verses in, in uh, Ecclesiastes. And do it with all your heart, but do it in the screen that you know that you're going to be held accountable for. Do it within the, the framework of God's will for your life. Use the blessings and your desires and your joy and your whatever you do, wherever you walk, wherever you go, whatever you grab a hold of, have it be you. Don't try to be somebody else. If you're not a teacher and you try to teach, it doesn't work so good. Be who God made you 
go on the, on the strength that you have and learn what you enjoy and tilt forward in life and embrace life and, in, and enjoy it. But in all of that, do it within the screen or the vision or that God has for your life. What it is that God wants for your life. Because all of the things that we do, all of the things that we say and all the things that we do, uh, it says that we're going to give account for that. And so as we live life to its fullest, the abundant life in the New Testament, the full life, uh, he doesn't want you to do it uh, tentative. He doesn't want you to be lukewarm. He doesn't want you to hold back. He wants you to go take them mountains and climb them hills and do those things and and reach out in the way he has taught you and put on your heart. But he wants you to remember that you're to do it for the honor and glory of God. Love and laugh and cry. And and participate in life. You know, my brother Vernon was saying uh, this week when we found out that Mel had cancer, he was looking, he said, you know, I look at old pictures of us in a young family and the children are around and we're doing this and we're doing that. And he said, I look at the picture and I'm there, but I wasn't there. I was, I wasn't there. I was, I was somewhere else. I was looking ahead. I wasn't living life in the moment. Wasn't praising the Lord for the gleams of sun that come through and land on that snow today. I was always looking for something forward. And he said, uh, I said, you know, we, we have this moment. And he said, yeah, we do. We have this moment. And God, uh, a Christian, the spirits, oh, oh, you'll have joy and you'll have heartaches and you'll have all this. Live it to the fullest. Don't live it tentative. Don't live it being someone else. Other than what God has has made you. A thief's purpose is to steal steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. An abundant life. But always through the lens of eternity. We give accounts for our actions and our inactions. Let's kneel for prayer.